Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Mr. Fit to Fat to Fit himself, Drew Manny. that our identity, our self-image is not our body image. And that's just something that we buy into at some point, maybe as kids, maybe we're teased, maybe we're bullied because of the way we look or the way our bodies are. And we start to identify ourselves as, oh, I am this body, this body is me. And it takes a while to unlearn that and break that cycle of who we are, who, like what is our identity without our body. And that's such a powerful tool to learn whether through its meditation or therapy or life coaching or reading books or listening to podcasts, learning how to step outside of your body and realize that you have so much more to offer this world than what your physical body looks like on social media mm. or how much you weigh or how much body fat you have. And until you break free from that, you're gonna be trapped in this mindset that the world has created for you and programs you to think like, hey, you're your body, your value to society is based off of what our societal values are on body image. And unfortunately, society tells people, you know, you're of less value if you're overweight and you live in a larger body. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast and the best-selling author of Keto Flex. Today, we welcome back my friend, Drew Manning, who has been on the Keto Camp Podcast before, episode 96, where we talked about keto myths, clean keto versus dirty keto, and his new book, or his latest book, The Complete Keto Guide. And uh, we'll put a link for that episode down below to listen to after this one. Today we discuss his recent experiment at the age of 40, gaining excessive weight and then taking it off. You might have been following his journey. He really gets into the six lessons he learned while doing this crazy experiment, we talk about why transformation is way more emotional and mental than we think. We talk about the emotional connection to food and why it's important to admit this to ourselves, why we are more than our bodies. We also discuss empathy and why it's important to understand that losing weight is just not as simple as eating less and working out more. And then we talk about our physical health, not necessarily our weight, how that affects our mental, emotional, and spiritual health more than we think. I just love the way that Drew Manning explains self-love, gratitude, and he really touches upon the holistic approach to healing your body. Not just nutrition, which he loves keto, he loves fasting, he loves exercise, but the inner sizing before you exercise. So we're going to get into an amazing conversation, sit back and enjoy this one. Before we get into that conversation, I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Jude's titled Grateful to Ben. I was really struggling with digestive issues on keto and wasn't finding solutions until I found Ben. Finally, some real help. Ben does his research and always provides accurate, consistent, and beneficial information. Thanks, Ben. Hey, Jude's, I'm super grateful for you. Right back at, t right back at you. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm glad your digestive issues are feeling better and uh, digestive issues on keto could be common, but we can overcome that, and you just did exactly that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for leaving the show rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so already, please do so today, and maybe I'll be reading your review on the next episode. All right, let's get to this conversation with Drew Manning. 
Drew Manning is a health and fitness expert. He is a New York Times bestselling author of Fit to Fat to Fit, The Unexpected Lessons from Gaining Weight and Losing 75 Pounds on Purpose. And for years, he's been a leading voice on the ketogenic diet movement. Drew is also the creator of the A&E show, Fit to Fat to Fit, and the host of the Fit to Fat to Fit Experience podcast. With over a million social media followers, Drew continues to transform people's lives all around the world. Known for his straightforward and empathetic fitness and health coaching, Drew has been featured on The Dr. Oz Show, CNN, Good Morning America, The Tonight Show, The View, and MSNBC, among other media outlets. So without further ado, here is Drew Manning. Ben, what's up, man? It's always good to be back with you, even though it's not in person this time. I know. We'll do it maybe the next time in Hawaii. I'll come out to you and do it in person. Visit me this time. (laughs) All right, Drew. So... Some people listening or watching right now might not be familiar with you. Most of them probably are. So let's recap. Several years ago, you decided to do something crazy, where, which got you pretty famous. So let's recap what you did, and then let's take it back to today, and why did you do it again? Yeah, so back in 2011 is when I did my first Fit to Fat to Fit experiment. And going into that, why did I do that? Well, you know, I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters, and we all played sports. So because of that, I was very active and very fit, never once struggled with my weight. Fast forward to about 2009, I became a personal trainer, you know, it was your typical trainer, six pack abs, always in shape, but never once overweight a day in my life. And then my clients were overweight pretty much every day of their life. And there was a huge disconnect because I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them to follow the meal plans or do the workouts that I gave them. And so I went on this journey to gain a better understanding of what it was like to be overweight. And I put on 75 pounds in six months. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be. I was totally humbled. I was totally wrong in my approach to helping people transform. And because I was humbled, because I went through that that journey, I learned so many valuable lessons on the mental and emotional side of transformation that I probably wouldn't have learned you know, just staying fit and in shape my entire life. And so that first fit to fat to fit experiment was really about truly understanding what it was like to be overweight. And I gained so much empathy out of that first journey that I wanted to kind of change my approach and how I helped people and lead with empathy first. And so, uh, yeah, that, that first experiment went viral, like you mentioned, you know, wrote my own book, uh, had my own TV show, went on a bunch of other TV shows to talk about what I learned from that first experiment. But I was 31 years old. So I had definitely had youth on my side, different metabolism, different hormones. And yeah, so, you know, I was a lot younger back then and uh, learned a lot of valuable lessons. So I don't actually have any regrets about doing it. And that's kind of how I've I've built a name for myself was was that first experiment. Yeah, it was fun to watch that. You were on Jay Leno. You were on, uh, I think, the Dr. Oz as well, right? Dr. Oz, yeah. Dr. Oz, all these TV shows. So you probably heard that. Hey, yeah, this guy, he was 31 years old. Of course, it's easy for him to do that. But then now you're 40 years old and you decide to do it again. So how did that come about? Yeah, you know what? It was really interesting. 2020 was a really crazy year for all of us, right? Like a lot of weird stuff happened and it just, it became really chaotic really quickly. There was a point in all that craziness where I almost felt called to do fit to fat to fit again, because I saw how divided the world was becoming. I saw how quick to judgment people were on social media. And I I was thinking to myself, you know what, back in 2011, social media wasn't what it is today. Like back in 2011, there was Facebook, you know, there was there was YouTube. And that's pretty much it. Instagram hadn't come on the scene just yet. And they were totally different. There was no Facebook lives, there was no live streaming, there was no Insta stories, there was like, None of that. So I realized that back in 2011, there was a very small amount of people that actually followed the journey as it happened. They got to see the day in, the day out, you know, what I was going through mentally, emotionally, physically during that first experiment. I felt like, look, my message is one of empathy. This world needs more empathy. The fitness industry needs more empathy. Maybe by doing it again in the midst of all this chaos, maybe my call for empathy will be heard by by some people. And so I felt almost called to do it again a second time, but this time as a 40-year-old, because we, as we all know, it does, it does get harder as you age. You're kind of uh, competing against declining testosterone levels, for example. And I know so many people that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s that just tell me all the time, like, 
you know, I'm eating the same thing I did back in the day and it's just not working like it used to. And so I wanted to give those people in that age demographics a little bit of hope and say, look, I'm going to do this journey too as a 40-year-old and we're going to do this journey back to fit together as a team. And yeah, it might be harder, but it's still possible. And I'm going to go through the same struggles that you are. And also you can follow along on Facebook Live, on YouTube Live. On yeah, Facebook. now you have all that access, yeah. Yeah, and so people really got to see the day in and day out, you know, a day in, in, in the life of what I was going through. I mean, you probably saw some of my crazy stuff I was putting in, in my mouth. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is people, you know, could relate to that. Like, I know that you and I really don't eat those foods, you know, very often, but 80% of the population is stuck in the cycle of eating these processed foods that are marketed to us here in America, especially because they're cheap, they're affordable, they're convenient, they taste really good, they're designed to be hyper palatable and addictive. And that's what most people gravitate towards because of this convenience and their comfort foods. And so doing my journey, I really got to show people every single day what a day in the life looked like of what I was doing. And my hope was that people could see that and almost see themselves in this journey and be like, oh, Drew's drinking three Coronas at nighttime and eating donuts before bed. No wonder his sleep is declining, which I was tracking my sleep data. I was tracking, you know, my blood uh, glucose levels, uh, all kinds of data to show people like, look, eating this food doesn't just make you gain fat. Like if that's all it did, it actually wouldn't be that bad. But because it's changing your blood work, your hormones, uh, it's affecting your sleep, which affects your mood, right? Mm -hmm. Which affects your relationships. Like me as a dad, I was definitely not the nicest dad because I was sleep deprived, dude, for four months straight. And, you know, drinking, you know, alcohol at nighttime and having, you know, cake and all these sugary foods. Yeah, it tasted good. But look what it did to my blood work. Look what it did to my hormones. Look what it did to just, you know, my personality in a sense. And so I think that's what made it a little bit more powerful than the first time around. Such an important share because a lot of people, it's estimated that 88% of Americans are metabolically inflexible. So they're eating these processed foods and foods help dictate how you feel to your point. So a lot of people who are a lot of people who are irritable, a lot of people who are in relationships where they're verbally abusive, part of that could actually be from their nutrition and the fact that they're not getting good sleep and the fact that they're giving themselves, their, their body's deprived from actual nutrients. And I always say, Drew, one of the most selfish things you can do in this world is to become unhealthy because then you rob yourself of your true personality and all of those in your life. And if you end up getting sick, your family needs to take care of you. Like when my dad got sick, I needed to take care of my dad for nine months. And it's the most selfish thing you can do. So that was an amazing explanation of why you did it the second time around. But you know what's going to happen, Drew? When you're 50 years old, you're going to have the 50-year-old say, oh, I bet you can't do it when you're 50. What are you going to do then? That's a good question. Here's what I've learned from my first experience. When I first did it, I swore I would never do it again. I was like, (laughs) I'll never do this again. It was so hard. And I think because I did that, I almost manifested it to happen a second time because I was like, I'm never doing it. So I've learned not never to say never. (laughs) And so I'm not going to say I'll never do it. But to be honest with you, Ben, like, I don't foresee myself ever doing it again. Like, I think I definitely realized because I went into this journey a little bit cocky, honestly, Ben, I was like, Oh, I got this. I've done this before. Like, I know what to expect. Like, it'll be fine. It'll be easy. Right. And man, I was truly humbled once again and how hard it was. And so, you know, a lot can happen in 10 years. Let's be honest, a lot can change, but I don't foresee myself doing this again at, you know, 55 to 50. So just want to throw that out there. (laughs) What was the hardest thing about it? (sighs) That's a good question. And just to be totally honest and open and and people probably saw this if they saw it, uh, was probably going through my breakup, which I did not expect to happen. You know, I had a girlfriend two years, we were in love, things were going good. We joked about me making her sign a contract like that she couldn't break up with me during this journey right and here's the interesting thing a lot of people ask me you know did you break up because of this journey and the the honest truth is no like we we had problems before the journey even started but those problems to your point were amplified because of my unhealthy physical state which affected my emotional state because when you're sleep deprived right and you wake up every morning you're exhausted you know, a lot of people gravitate towards stimulants, right? Tons of caffeine first thing when they wake up, like I got to wake up, oh, I need more energy, I'm just so exhausted. And your stress 
uh, hormones are through the roof. So your cortisol is elevated all day long. So your ability to handle stress is diminished versus what it would be if you were sleeping through the night and your hormones were balanced. And for me, what that meant, what that looked like in the real world was, okay, dealing with kids, dealing with business, dealing with issues with my girlfriend, you know, and all the parents out there can relate to this. My level of patience is like this much per day, right? <laughs> and slowly gets chipped away, you know, throughout the day where like by the end of the day, my patience is gone. I'm like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. When you're sleep deprived and you're un physically unhealthy, right? Not, not just overweight, just I'm, I'm talking about physically unhealthy. That is shortened to where now your ability to handle stress is severely diminished. You're more reactive. You're more in survival mode. And that causes a lot more issues in whatever relationship you're in, whether as a dad or as a boyfriend, your ability to handle stress from your partner is not what it used to be. And so those problems that we had that existed before this journey started that were never resolved were amplified probably, you know, 10x or so in those moments of high stress and, you know, eating those foods and being sleep deprived. It was like the perfect storm of all those things kind of coming together. And unfortunately, you know, life happens. But so that was the hardest part of this journey, Ben, to be honest with you, was dealing with those emotions. And let me kind of tie this into one of the biggest lessons. And this is the power of emotional eating. And I thought I understood it, but I realized I didn't understand it at as deep of a level as I did after the breakup. Okay. Because before this, I was eating food, which tasted good. Don't get me wrong. It made, it made me feel good temporarily. I was eating the food to gain the weight, right? That was, this is part of my experiment, what I do. Now, having a breakup happen, you know, halfway through, I was sad, I was lonely, I was depressed for the first time in my life. And there's something to be said for these little dopamine hits that you get constantly from these delicious processed foods, right? And unfortunately, you don't get the same chemical reaction when you eat chicken and broccoli, right? Mm -hmm. It's just not the same uh, mechanism that happens in your brain when you, you know, versus Ben and Jerry's ice cream, for example, or a glass of alcohol. So dealing with emotional pain from life, whether it's a breakup, a bankruptcy, a divorce, like whatever it is, right? There's stress that happens in life. We as humans have programmed ourselves to gravitate towards substances, whether it's food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, TV shows, social media, movies, whatever it is, to distract ourselves from the emotional pain because sometimes we don't know how to deal with that emotional pain and it's too much for us and we need something to numb that pain temporarily and that's why I don't judge people, you know, for some people, like I said, it's food, which becomes their drug of choice, because it's, like I said, convenient, affordable, tastes really good. It's at the tip of your fingertips. It's in your fridge, it's in your cupboards, it's at DoorDash, it's at the restaurant, at the grocery store. We have so much access to these delicious foods, literally all day long. And I'm not condoning that behavior. All I'm saying is I understand on a deeper level now, having gone through that breakup, and feeling depressed, and you know, eating a few bites of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and having a glass of wine, I was like, you know what? I feel a little bit better. I'm not going to lie. And so what I'm saying is I understand the emotional eating on a deeper level because then it creates this vicious cycle, right? And then people are, you know, they try and willpower their way into a new healthy lifestyle, hmm. but the emotions of life don't go away. The stresses of life don't go away. And if you programmed your brain to reach for the easy stuff day in and day out, and then you're like two weeks into your new diet, you're trying to willpower your way to like, you know, not eat that food. It's a really hard habit to break. And it's really hard to break that cycle. It's like going up to a drug addict and being like, hey, can't do drugs anymore. And, you know, how hard is that? That's super hard for drug addicts. It's, I would say it's very similar for people that are food addicts that deal with stress with food, right? And the difference between food and drugs is food is legal. Drugs are illegal, and food is everywhere at the grocery store. You see your friends eating it. Okay. Everyone's eating it in front of your face on commercials, on social media. It's acceptable, socially acceptable, yep. Exactly. It's socially acceptable. And so I would say it's almost harder for people that are food addicts. And that's why if you've been doing this for years and decades, it's really hard to break that. And so for me, that was, that was probably the hardest part to, to go through. But I learned a lot of lessons from that. Yeah, that was one part of it. But you outlined six really deep lessons that you learned from the from you doing your experiment the second time around. I want to get into that, but before we do, you mentioned that you were, you were using a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. What what were some of the things that you, you saw going through the, when you were gaining the weight with your blood sugars versus losing the weight? Oh man, I, I didn't know my blood sugars could get up that high, but... Um, <laughs> How high? How high did it go? The highest I saw was after cotton candy and I got up to over 200. 
Oh, that's, so that was the that was the highest damaging your blood vessels right there, dude. <laughs> but on a day to day basis, most foods were like one fifties, you know, one sixties, which still high for me. For me, is is high for sure. For other people that might be diabetic, they'd be like, "Oh, I wish I could have a one fifty yeah. or one sixty. It's all individual, right? But what I learned from that band was these spikes and crashes, spikes and crashes, three, four, five, six times a day is exhausting on your body. My exhaustion levels were at all time highs when I was going through this journey because I was super, I needed to take naps almost because I was so tired from these spikes and crashes, spikes and crashes. And this is why so many people get sleepy when they eat this way and they can never, they never feel fully rested. Probably because they're not sleeping efficiently at, at night because I tracked my HRV on my Whoop device, which went from my baseline and was like around 100 or so, 100 plus. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, 100 plus is, is really good to 44, 45. Wow, that's a... Steep, steep drop, dude. Wow. And so that's that's what I learned uh, from tracking some of this data was, you know, how exhausting it was, you know, eating these foods. And people just, they don't really, you know, correlate eating food to your blood sugar levels or exhaustion levels throughout the day. And so that's pretty much what I learned, you know, gaining the weight. On the journey back to fit, it was awesome. This is what's so cool about keto, intermittent fasting. Man, it was between, you know, 100 maybe, you know, uh, on some days to 110 most of the day, just kind of, you know, small little bumps here and there. But for the most part, yeah, it was pretty even throughout the day and so much more energy, so much more mental clarity. You know, no, I didn't need to take naps anymore. And that's what I wanted to show people is like, hey, here's my blood work. When I'm healthy and eating, you know, low carb, you know, whole foods, mostly a keto approach. And then here's my blood sugar, like this roller coaster <laughs> when I'm eating all these processed foods. So that was pretty well, interesting. The transition from once you gained the weight and you said, okay, it's time to lose it. How did you make that transition? Did you go cold turkey or was it a gradual approach into that? So, so here's, here's the thing. When I'm, you know, when I do these in experiments, like when I did back in the day, I gained, first of all, I gained 62 pounds in four months, which is a lot of weight to gain in four months. To lose that in four months, I have, you have to be like, you're on the clock. So in a real world setting, yeah, maybe for some people, we, I would have tapered them off like slowly. But for me, I had to do a cold turkey where Dece uh, December, well, oh yeah, January 3rd, which was Sunday, and to January 4th, which was that first Monday of the new year. That's when I, you know, flipped the switch and went, went keto. How was that day? How did you feel that day? You know, I was excited and it's very similar to my first journey. I was excited, but I did not underestimate the power of withdrawal symptoms like I did the first time. When I first did it, I had no idea my body would almost fight back against me with cravings and almost pushing me to eat the processed food because I had trained it for so long to eat that food and enjoy the high that it got from eating those foods constantly for six months straight. So going into the weight loss aspect of the second journey, I was prepared for that mentally knowing hey, I'm not going to feel great right away. I'm not going to feel all this energy and mental clarity like on day one. I'll probably feel miserable a little bit because my body's like, hey, where's our cinnamon toast crunch? Where's our Mountain Dew? Where's this or that? Where's our Ben and Jerry's? Like, and so your body does freak out a little bit. And I was, I was prepared for it this time. So I knew it was going to be a little bit hard. But it's so cool because not only was I doing this journey, there were thousands of people doing this journey with me that signed up to follow me on the app and that's what kept me going. I was like open with them on my Insta stories and my live saying, look, you guys, it's day two. I am craving some Ben and Jerry's. I'm not going to lie. And guess what? It, we're going to get through this together. It's going to be a little bit hard mentally, but we can do hard things. And if I can do it, you can do it. And if you can do it, I can do it. And that's kind of mm -hmm. like the power of doing it with other people. Yeah, the power of community. I love that. So day one, what was your, your weight? What was your, your weight on the final day? And then what about body fat percentage too? Yeah, so uh, I started out at 181.6 at 8.4% uh, body fat on day one, got up to 244 pounds, 26.2% body fat on my, at my heaviest. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, I did get back to fit, uh, you know, around the same measurements, to be honest with you, maybe slightly different, a little bit less weight, a little bit lower body fat, but the body fat machines, you know, whether it's accurate or not, who knows? I tell right. people, like, it's not about being accurate. It's about measuring change. So let's just say I got back to fit. <laughs> what an incredible, you know, the human body is so adaptable and you're, you're a perfect example of that. There are so many researched benefits to having good fat in your diet, but there is just one little problem with all this healthy fat. 
If you can't properly digest the fat in your diet, chances are you won't feel that great. And a lot of people lack the one key nutrient needed to digest fat. To really get the best results from any diet, whether it's carnivore, paleo, keto, or even vegan, I found there are three things that can really help optimize your results. First, enhance your digestion and elimination. Second, boost your cellular energy. And third, rev up your fat-burning metabolism. And one of the best aids to a ketogenic lifestyle that I've ever found comes from my friends over at Bioptimizers, and it's called Capex. What Capex does is three things. First, it breaks down the fats you eat into fatty acids using a proprietary lipase and dandelion extract blend. Most people aren't eating a lot more good fat in their diet these days. This means you're breaking down the dietary fat into usable energy and not storing it. Second, they transport those fatty acids into the muscles and in the liver. And they have several ingredients that dramatically increase the fatty acid oxidation inside your mitochondria, both in your muscles and liver. In other words, it's more fuel into your motor and more horsepower for your motor. If you take three to five capsules of K-Pax in the morning on an empty stomach, the energy is incredible. It feels like a cup of coffee and it lasts six to 10 hours and there's no nervous system stimulation. It works incredible as a pre-workout and even without caffeine. It's one of my go-tos when I'm in a fasted state. Now, it won't make up for bad eating or eating lots of excess calories, especially from processed foods and seed oils, but the research shows that it can raise metabolic rate and boost other fat loss hormones. I highly suggest trying it for yourself. And when you go to kenergize.com slash ketocamp, that's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E forward slash ketocamp, camp with a K, you'll automatically get 10% off any package of Capex with the coupon code KETOCAMP10. That is K-E-T-O-K-A-M-P-1-0. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. So uh, let's get to that. Let's get to the lessons that you learned. You kind of shared a little bit already, but the, the first main one was transformation is way more mental, emotional than we think. Share some more. Sure. So be pre-fit to fat to fit, before I ever did my first journey, most trainers, I think, go into the fitness world thinking, oh, you know, here's my certification. Here's what I focus on, nutrition, exercise, supplementation, proper form. Yes, great. All great information. Very important when it comes to physical transformation. The problem with that model is it takes out the human element of transformation, which like I mentioned before, the stresses of life don't go away when you're on a, a, a physical weight loss journey. And so after having done this twice now, it's still misunderstood that weight loss or you know a physical transformation journey is way more mental and emotional than people think. So like you and I, we could give people all the tools that they need on the physical side, the perfect meal plans, macros, calories, workouts, and supplements to take to change their physical body. But if you're not prepared to deal with the mental emotional challenges that have been holding you back from living that healthy physical lifestyle change, you know, consistently, then it, probably it's just going to be another diet that you do. It's probably going to be something you do for 30 days, 90 days, you see some results, but then you still haven't rewired your brain to either one, release those emotional issues or two, create some new neural pathways and some new thought patterns to see your situation through a new lens and new perception so that you can actually have success on the physical transformation side. So what I'm trying to do is bring more awareness into this fitness industry by saying, hey, you know, when we look at someone that's overweight, society can be very mean and judgmental. And a lot of people think, dude, why don't these people just eat less and work out more? Like, it's mm -hmm. so simple. You just do it. Doctors say that. <laughs> yeah, doctors say, well, you need to just lose some weight. They're like, okay, well, how do I do that? Oh, I'll just lose weight, eat less, <laughs> and work out more. And so I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to change the narrative of the fitness industry and disrupt it by saying, hey, let's be more aware of how mental and emotional this is. And let's give people tools on the mental and emotional side. And that's why we need more empathy in the fitness industry so that people don't feel so judged and uh, labeled by society as, as lazy or less than because of their bodies or you know, their body fat percentage or how big their bodies are. So that's the first lesson is transformation is way more mental and emotional than we think. Amen, brother. And you're not trying. You're actually, you're actually doing it. You're, you're changing the industry. I always say you got to exercise before you exercise. It's exactly what you just said. Mental, emotional. You got to master that. You can do all the keto and fasting you want. But if you don't have it going on in here, like to Drew's point, it's going to be very difficult. Second thing is 
the emotional connection to food is way more powerful than we admit to ourselves. Yeah. So very similar to, you know, the, the picture that I painted earlier in this podcast, Ben, was showing people, you know, eating this food, which we think is just physical, a physical action of putting, you know, calories in our mouth, fats, proteins, carbs. But if you build your self-awareness, you realize why you gravitate towards those foods to, you know, one, numb some type of pain or emotional trauma or challenge that you've been going through. And maybe you haven't really become aware of what that is yet. And that food becomes your drug where now you've programmed your brain to deal with emotional pain in life by reaching for Mm. a physical substance that makes you, you know, gives you the little dopamine hit. And same thing with social media or, you know, they track that and they know that there's this little dopamine hit you get constantly throughout the day. And these little dopamine hits temporarily make you feel better. And so you're training your brain to gravitate towards these little releases you know, a numbing mechanisms to deal with emotional pain and until you deal with that emotional pain and learn to release it, it's going to be, you know, so much harder to try and willpower your way out of it. I know a lot of people think they have willpower and they think they can willpower their way to a new lifestyle. But from my experience, probably from your experience too, mm-hmm. it's just not sustainable for most people until they learn how to, you know, become more aware of what those emotional triggers are. So how do you become more aware? How do you deal with it? What are some practical things we can start doing? Yeah, you know, some of the tips and tools that I give my followers when they go on a, a physical journey with me to transformation journey is I have them do homework on the mental and emotional side. And so what that list looks like is simple things that really have nothing to do with weight loss. They're not going to get you a six pack, but they really are powerful when it comes to training your brain to break that cycle and then also to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations, which is what any kind of transformation is. So that list includes things like making your bed every single day, Mm. uh, taking a cold shower for a minimum of 60 seconds, which sucks. It's so hard. I get it. It's so uncomfortable. And yeah, there are some physical health benefits, but that's besides the point. For me, it's more of a mental discipline thing. And it's the ability to, in those 60 seconds, when you're freezing cold, you know, your fight or flight, you know, is activated. You want to like freak out. Being able to control your breathing and become present in the moment. Slow your breathing down and realize that you're okay. You're not going to die. And that trains your brain to become comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Same thing with meditation, Mm. positive affirmations, a daily gratitude list. You know, these things can be uncomfortable for lots of people, but training your brain to become comfortable in these uncomfortable situations can carry over into the uncomfortability of eating healthy food, right? Which maybe doesn't taste as good as processed food, but we know it's healthy for us. Maybe eating a little bit less food than you're used to. And that feeling of being a little bit hungry is uncomfortable for a lot of us. And then in the gym, working out, you know, sore muscles, sweaty, uncomfortable situation. Now you can say, hey, I've done these other things. And now I can tell myself, hey, body, mind, we're okay. We're not going to die. These things are hard, but guess what? We can do these hard things because now we've trained our brain in other areas of our life, these mental and emotional tools that I listed earlier, and we can become comfortable in these uncomfortable situations. And that makes the physical journey so much easier. And that, so those things help to build that self-awareness and uh, make our mind more resilient when it comes to transformation. Those are great tips, Drew. I, I agree that those disciplines transfer over. And when you practice things like gratitude and journaling, it doesn't sound like a, it's not a sexy topic, but it's changed my life, Drew. Like gratitude, focusing on what I appreciate, I get more to appreciate. And, and it's true, what you appreciate, appreciate. So that's those are some great tips there. And keto campers, pick and choose. You could choose all the ones that Drew just recommended. You could choose one or two. But I think it's the consistency of applying them every single day, these small little tweaks that could lead to giant peaks with your health transformation, with your physical transformation, because all of this is connected. It's not just go exercise or follow these macros or whatever it is. All That could be great, but you got to really work the inside. So really, really great explanation. Next is, I love this one. We are more than our bodies. What do you mean by that? Man, this took an identity crisis for me to happen uh, to learn this lesson. So when I first did Fit to Fit in 2011, you know, my identity was my body image. I was Drew the fit guy because that's all I'd ever known. That's what, what my body looked like. And when you grow up your entire life in shape, we identify as our bodies. Same thing for those who grew up their entire life out of shape or overweight. We identify our identity as our body image. And when I first did fit to fat to fit the first time, I freaked out. Like I really did. I, I was so uncomfortable because I was like, this isn't me. 
I wanted to go up to strangers and explain to them like, Hey, I'm not really overweight. You guys, this isn't like normal. Let me show you what I really look like, you know, because I, I had that identity crisis going through that first experiment coming out of it on the other side. I realized that our identity, our self image is not our body image. And that's just something that we buy into at some point, maybe as kids, maybe we're teased, maybe we're bullied because of the way we look or the way our bodies are. And we start to identify ourselves as, oh, I am this body, this body is me. And it takes a while to unlearn that and break that cycle of who we are, who, like, what is our identity without our body. And that's such a powerful tool to learn whether through its uh, meditation or therapy or life coaching or reading books or listening to podcasts, learning how to step outside of your body and realize that you have so much more to offer this world than what your physical body looks like on social media mm. or how much you weigh or how much body fat you have. And until you break free from that, you're going to be trapped in this mindset that the world has created for you and programs you to think like, hey, you're your body, your value to society is based off of what our societal values are on body image. And unfortunately, society tells people, you know, you're of less value if you're overweight, and you live in a larger body. And it's up to us to either believe in that myth, or we can learn to break that myth and realize that, hey, there's more to me than my body. I'm not just my body. There's more to me than the color of my skin. There's more to me than the amount of fat that I have. And we have to break free from the matrix almost <laughs> of what, yeah. what society tells us to think. The, the programming is very strong. It really, and there's a lot of resistance, right, Drew? So I love that. Great, great share right there. Another one that all of these are kind of interrelated here. The next one is we need more empathy for those that struggle with weight because it's not as simple as eating less and working out more. That's a bold statement for somebody in the fitness industry. So I'm sure you get some backlash about that, but share some more about that. Yeah, man. I mean, this is, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do with Fit to Fat to Fit, this whole movement is to let people know that this is coming from someone who is fit, someone that, who's in shape most of my life to let the world know that like everyone else out there that is maybe judgmental or maybe, you know, doesn't understand uh, why transformation is mental and emotional. I'm trying to be that voice of, look, we need to be more aware that when it comes to transformation, people don't struggle with just eating less and working out. It's way more mental and emotional than we think. And, and no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is something that fits if I had to fit is that's my, that's like my motto. Like that's something that I'm trying to get across to people in this industry and other industries where leaders, coaches, trainers, doctors, whatever, don't understand that connection to the people they're trying to help. No one cares how much you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world. But if you don't know how to relate to your clients or followers, unfortunately, it's gonna be harder for them to listen to you if they just feel like you're just this robot almost that has no compassion or emotion or empathy. And yeah. I feel like empathy can be a game changer because we saw this on my TV show with Fit to Fat to Fit on A&E where we put other trainers through this program and then they had to lose the weight with their client. And you saw those clients, when they saw their trainer put on the weight intentionally, they were so much more connected to their trainer at that moment because they realized that their trainer was humbled and that they could connect with them on a deeper emotional level, especially when it came to food and they were humbled. And then they were more willing to listen to what they had to say. And so this is why if we lead with empathy first, in this world of, of weight loss, instead of shaming people, I feel like we can make such a bigger impact when it comes to lifelong, you know, transformation, not just getting people skinny, not just getting people this perfect body, but helping them realize that they're worth it to fight for their physical health. Because when their physical health is in check, guess what, their mental and emotional and spiritual health is so much easier to put in check. But we have to have that good base of physical health first and foremost. And so that's kind of why I feel like instead of shaming people into losing weight and making them feel bad for who they are. Let's lead with empathy and let's see if that can make a difference, not just in this industry, but in the world. Amen. You know, we need more em empathy in the world right now more than ever because there's a lot of division going on with a lot of different topics. So beautifully said, Drew. One of my favorite ways to break a fast is with bone broth. Not just any bone broth you get at your grocery store. I'm talking about high-quality, grass-fed bone broth. The benefits to bone broth is a long list. From glowing skin, stronger hair and nails, improved recovery from the amino acids that are in the broth, helping with digestion, energy, 
the immune system, helping with cravings and also brain fog. Bone broth also helps to balance out your methionine to glycine ratios. A lot of people, especially those doing carnivore, who eat a lot of muscle meat, they get an imbalance of increased methionine levels. And what bone broth could do, it has high amounts of glycine, which helps balancing the ratio of methionine to glycine, which is important for methylation. If you're not familiar with methylation, think of that as the gears and switches of your cellular health. Lately, my go-to for bone broth has been the beauty and the broth. What I love about them is that there are no artificial flavors, no preservatives, no phthalates, no sugar or salt added. They are grass-fed, non-GMO, and it contains a high amount of collagen, which is so important for your gut and your skin and bone health. The cool thing about the Beauty and the Broth is that their packets are single serve and you could take them on the go wherever you go. When I'm traveling, when I'm on the go, I'll take a few packets of these bone broths with me. You just add hot water, boom, it's concentrated for you, which makes it easy to get your bone broth anywhere. They have affordable monthly, bi-weekly, and weekly subscription programs. Head over to thebeautyandthebroth.com to learn more about them. That is thebeautyandthebroth.com. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. The last one here is our physical health, not necessarily our weight, very important to distinguish that, affects our mental, emotional, and spiritual health more than we think. We kind of went over that, but if you could go deeper, that'd be great. Yeah, let me summarize that. So when I went through my breakup during my 55 to 40 experiment, this is where I realized that, you know, the way we eat, the exercise we do or don't do has such a profound impact on how we show up in this world. And I really truly believe that a healthier version of you, not necessarily a skinnier version or more rifted version of you, but a healthier version of you is going to cause you to be happier or more fulfilled in this life, or at least at least it'll be easier to be happier and more fulfilled. And that's promising, hey, if you sleep through the night, you eat real food, you exercise, and you manage your stress, those four pillars of health, that you'll, you're guaranteed to be happy. No. I'm saying it's easier to be happier when you have those four pillars of, four pillars of health in check. That's all I'm trying to say. And so I want to switch things around in the fitness industry. And instead of saying, hey, let's focus on getting skinny and getting ripped, Let's focus on being healthy first and foremost and doing those pillars of health, right? Like, I don't care what diet you do. Just don't focus so much on processed food. Like, don't eat only processed food. Focus on some type of real whole food, you know, and most of the time you'll probably be better off focusing on whole food. Exercise. Move your body every single day in a way that feels good to you. It doesn't have to be 60 minutes of cardio, 60 minutes of weight lifting. It can be fun. It can be interactive. You move your body in so many different ways, whether it's hiking, biking, swimming, CrossFit, uh, yoga, Pilates, uh, Zumba, whatever it is, moving your body in some form of way that you know allows you to do hard things is going to be great for your mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, managing your stress. So whether that's meditation, prayer, journaling, getting out in nature, being with family, being with loved ones, like relationships, that part is really important when it comes to help manage our stress which is going to help our hormones, you know, become more balanced in the long run. And then also sleeping, man, we suck at sleeping, I think, in, in this country. You know, we're like, yeah, because yeah, we're taught to grind and hustle and like, you know, yeah. stay up to midnight and watch Netflix and then, you know, chug a bunch of energy drinks and, you know, an Adderall and go throughout the day and just, you know, seize the day. I, I feel like it's killing us, you know, more than we know. And so getting through those pillars of health and focusing on health, uh, you know, is going to make you or help you show up a better version of yourself, a better mom, a better dad, a better husband, wife, you know, employee, business owner, whatever it is that you are, or you do, you will be a better version of yourself if you focus on, you know, getting those four pillars of health in check. And that's kind of what I'm trying to, you know, flip the script a little bit in the fitness industry by saying, hey, instead of saying, you're only successful, if you get this body fat percentage, or you get this Instagram model body, Maybe that's not the most important thing. And maybe that's not even the healthiest thing. So let's stop pretending like that's the healthiest thing. And let's be more positive towards people who are trying to change their bodies and not shaming them for not getting this perfect body. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to, to say with that one. Yeah, yeah. And you said it. You said it well. And I love that because you're, you're changing the narrative with the word success. Everybody has different definitions of success. But the way that you explain it, it's very similar to the way that my definition of success, which uh, Earl Nightingale said it best, he said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. An ideal is an idea, a goal that you have fallen in love with. And it could be a body fat percentage goal. That's totally fine. But the, the goal 
to be successful is not necessarily when you hit the goal. It's it's on the way towards it, right, Drew? It's who you have to become, the, the changes you need to make, the people you help, et cetera. That's when you're successful. But the minute that you quit and give up, that's when you are failing. You're not a failure, but you are failing. So I love that message because it's, it could be related to business, to relationships, to other areas out there. It's not really about hitting the goal. It's about what you have to do on your way to that goal. So let's get to some questions from the uh, Keto Camp Academy members. What's an acceptable amount of caffeine per day? Mm. That's where it's so individual, right? It, it, I know so many people that are super sensitive to caffeine. So my answer wouldn't apply to those people, right? Or someone that is, you know, I know people that can drink coffee and go straight to bed. Like yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm kind of in the between. So I'm kind of in between. For me, you know, I have about maybe one to two cups of coffee per day. I don't know how much, uh, maybe 150 milligrams, 100. That's like, that's about 100 milligrams. Yeah, 50, 50 milligrams, one cup, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at two cups of coffee. That's kind of the caffeine that, that does it for me. Now, there are some days where I might bump that up. Maybe I'm traveling, maybe I'm different time zones, whatever. And I can take that. But I do know if I'm bumping it up too much too often, then I get burnout. Then I get diminishing returns to where I feel kind of um, almost exhausted from too much caffeine. So I kind of have to reset that and maybe take you know a week off of caffeine to kind of reset my tolerance levels. Yeah. But that's such a hard question for a, one specific answer. I think it's going to take some experimentation for some people. Yeah, no, it's a good answer. And, and I was actually wrong. I looked it up. It's 95 milligrams in one cup, eight, eight ounces of, of coffee. So if you're drinking two cups, you're getting a, a, almost, yeah, 180. So I like the answer because you are doing it in a cyclical way. You're having the right amount that you feel good on the days you're having coffee. Then you're having a day or a week without it. So you're letting your body kind of not develop a resistance to it. Now, I'm guilty. I'm long overdue for like a month or two without coffee, but I just haven't made that leap yet. I'll sprinkle in a day. I'll sprinkle in two days, but then I'm like, ah, I got to get the coffee. But I don't overdo it. I'm like you. If I have too much, I actually get tired and sleepy. So I have just the right amount in the mornings. Uh, next question is, what do you think of water tank to get your body fat percentage? Anything else out there that you recommend? Uh, yeah, I, I like the DEXA body scan. That one works really well. It's the most accurate that I've found. But here's the thing. I, don't, I really don't care which one you use. I really don't. It's about measuring change. So be consistent with whatever device you're using. Like this journey, I used InBody, which is definitely not the most accurate from what yeah. I've... Like, I've stepped on three different times. I've gotten three different... Completely oh, really? Different <laughs> so... so you know, just what I'm saying is don't buy in too much to whatever the numbers are on any device you use. Go off of how you look or how you feel. Who cares like what your number is? Mm -hmm. Like, do you look lean? Like, can you see your six pack? Can you like, do you like the amount of fat you have on your body? Like that's probably more important than, you know, whatever method you use. But yeah, the water tank, uh, I haven't used it personally, but I know some people that have, there's the calipers, there's the DEXA, there's a few different devices out there. I don't know if you like a certain one, Ben, that you like to use. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the calipers are the easiest one to do. And I think as long as you keep the variables the same, so you have the same person test you at the same time of the day, you do the same testing consecutively, that's a good method. So the calipers are the best thing you can do. It's like 10 bucks on, on Amazon. It's not 100% accurate, but it gives you an idea. Danielle, who's out in California, says, loving your thoughts on the emotional connection versus food addiction and retraining your neural pathways to overcome it, it's my biggest challenge. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, Drew? I was going to say, look, Everyone out there that that feels the same way, like this is my biggest challenge, keep fighting because you're worth it to figure out what works best for you. Like keep fighting to figure out whether it's therapy, meditation, you know, gratitude list, whatever it is to help you break through that. That's what I'm trying to let people know is like it's not as sexy as a 30-day, you know, summer body program, right? Like I get that. But if you can figure this out, it'll make the physical journey, whatever diet or program you do so much easier if you can figure this part out. So just remember that you're worth it and it might take some time. You're worth it, Danielle, and you're doing it. Um, Lynn says, I have trained my brain to enjoy the smell when walking by a bakery or place that has amazing smells, not to go and indulge because I feel terrible after. So she acknowledges it, but doesn't have to actually indulge in it. That's pretty cool, huh? That's some good self-awareness too, to be able to know, okay, I can smell it and get some satisfaction from it without having to actually eat the bread. That's kudos to you. I'm not on that Jedi level yet, <laughs> but <laughs> that's great. I'm trained to get there. 
I also can't believe Western medicine that will pay for somebody to have gastric bypass surgery if they are a certain weight. I know someone who purposely gained weight so they could get the surgery taken care of by their insurance company. What do you, what do you think about that? I know that's happened too before, man. And it's so hard because my heart goes out to, you know, these people that they are willing to try anything, you know, they're desperate. Like they've tried some things. Maybe they haven't tried hard enough or long enough. Like who knows what's not for us to judge. But it is heartbreaking, you know, um, but I do know some people that have had success with surgery and have found that happier balance. But, you know, for me, if, if this is your method to use to lose weight, one, I don't judge you, right? I, I don't judge you at all. Two, the biggest thing is to learn how to change your behavior with food, because even if you get the surgery and your behavior with food doesn't change, yeah, you're going to be forced to eat less of the food. But those cravings are still going to be there. The emotional eatings are still going to be there. Yeah. And I've seen people gain the weight back. Unfortunately, it's not guaranteed to keep the weight off. But like I said, I'm not one to judge anyone who, who does that. But it is kind of sad to see people gaining weight to be able to qualify for the surgery. And it's sad to see not because we're judging, but because there are some some um, holistic ways to do it that the person maybe explored, maybe didn't explore. We don't know the story, but that we, we just see like we know the body could heal as long as we start doing the things we need to do. So that's why it's sad. Danielle says, I'm curious, Drew, if you found a healthier replacement for Ben and Jerry's <laughs> or if you have retrained your brain not to want that type of treat. You know what? It's interesting. Um, I haven't found a quality replacement yet. Like there are some good keto ice creams out there, Ben. Like I'm sure you've tried some yeah. that, are, that are pretty good. They're decent. But it's still the behavior behind it. If I'm doing it to escape, if I'm doing it to eat when I'm stressed out, that's kind of what it needs to be fixed. Luckily, I've done a lot of therapy and life coaching and self-reflection since my breakup to where I don't feel the need to have to binge eat anything, keto ice cream or Ben & Jerry's to deal with those emotions, I would say, honestly, living a healthy lifestyle, exercising, eating healthy food for the most part is probably the most powerful antidepressant that exists. It's just being aware of oh, like, okay, maybe sometimes intentionally, I'm going to eat this ice cream, and I'm going to enjoy it. And, and I'm not doing it to escape. I'm not doing it with the intention to numb any emotions or pain. But maybe my girls want to have some ice cream tonight, and we're going to do it as a family. I think there are certain situations where I'm okay with that. But it's all about your intention behind it, whether it's keto ice cream or Ben and Jerry's, it doesn't matter. Like what's your intention behind eating it? Same thing with alcohol, same thing with drugs. Like I don't judge people that use drugs or alcohol. It's the intention behind why you're wanting to take that substance, whether it's food, drugs, or alcohol, mm -hmm. what's your intention behind it? Be honest with yourself. And that's where self-awareness plays a big role in being able to control emotional eating. Yeah, great share. Uh, next question is uh, from Mariana. She says, how important is a blood glucose monitor for the journey to health? That's a good question. I think, you know, having used this now for eight months straight, wow. it's an awesome tool. It's an awesome tool to have, Ben. Like, it really is. Like, it's so cool to be able to check my blood sugar after everything I eat or after hard exercise. I'm like, man, my blood sugar got up to 125 today after my workout session. And it's just good to know, okay, I do see these spikes every once in a while from uh, maybe, you know, things that I'm I'm not used to. And just being aware of that, I think it's, it's good data. Is it important to, you know, to have for optimal health? No, like you could totally be healthy without having it. Same thing with not having a whoop or having any kind of fitness tracker, a scale, you really don't need anything. But is it good data to have? Sure. If you feel like you have the budget for it, you're going to use that data for good. It can be beneficial to some people It just depends on if you're the type of person that loves data. And then how you use that data, interpret it is, is important too. So, Yeah, I agree. It's not necessary to achieve optimal health, but it could be a great tool if you use the right way. I used uh, the same one levels for a couple months, uh, interviewed Dr. Casey. She's great. So they're doing some great work. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the CGM personally because I use it and I use that data. I see what exercise does. I see what a porridge-itis. I actually saw what um, coconut whipped cream did to jack up my, my glucose, dude. I, I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, no more. you have? Uh, I had like, I don't know, like four tablespoons, uh, which is not a lot, but it jacked it up over, over like 150, dude, just from that, which is not typical. So that didn't work for me. Hey, I want to take a brief minute to share something with you. For many years, I used to take fish oil and recommend it. And I see a lot of people in the keto space overdoing it with fish oil. There are several reasons why I am not a fan of fish oil and why I stopped recommending it to all of my clients several years ago. Number one, 83% of fish oil is expected to be rancid on the shelf before you even consume it. 
There was also an experiment done. This study was called the Iowa Screening Experiment. This study showed it took 18 weeks to reverse the negative effect of the incorporation of EPA and DHA from fish oil into the cell membrane. Another study found that fish oil increased the risk of colon cancer in mice. Here's the quote. We found that mice developed deadly late-stage colon cancer when given high doses of fish oil. More importantly, with the increased inflammation, it only took four weeks for the tumors to develop. Simply put, I stopped taking it. I stopped recommending it. I use a plant-based omega from Pureform. This supplement is nitrogen infused, which preserves and protects it. It has the proper balance of omega-6 to omega-3. And most importantly, it gives you the derivatives, the building blocks, they're called parent essential oils, for you to produce your own EPA and DHA. If you wanna learn more about Pureform, head over to purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4, that is B-E-N, the number four, at checkout, and you'll get $4 off your capsules of Pureform. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's go back to this episode. Judy says, um, how do electrolytes affect hunger, energy, sleep, etc.? That's a good question. I think that's something that's really hard to measure exactly. Like, hey, I've only had X amount of sodium, potassium, magnesium, and therefore, because of that, I'm craving Ben and Jerry's ice cream. How much is it emotional versus how much is it, you know, uh, physiological? That's, it's hard to figure that out. But I will say, I will say that if your electrolytes are out of whack, you probably are more prone to crave certain foods and possibly be a little bit hung, uh, hungrier and it could affect sleep. But even if you have those things balanced, doesn't guarantee that you'll sleep well, doesn't guarantee that you won't be hungry or have Good cravings point. because, because it could be emotional too. But if you're doing those, I would definitely highly recommend getting in the optimal amounts of electrolytes just to make sure. And then from there, you could rule out, hey, it's not because I'm, I'm, I don't have my electrolytes in today. Maybe it's because I got in a fight with my spouse or maybe it's I got in a fight with my kids or whatever. It could be something else. So always get those you know, in every single day, uh, no matter what, to rule that out. Great advice. Margo, are you good to go? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me see. Let me. No, you hit the. You hit, if you hit the microphone, doesn't. What happens? There we go. There we go. <laughs> I was trying to stop it. I'm so sorry for that. I was trying to stop all that double sound, and then I. Anyway, okay. It's, it's all good. Yeah. Hey, Margo. Thank you so much. Love this. This is amazing. Beautiful job. Just thank what you. an amazing example. And Ben always brings on the amazing people. You both. Thank you. Yes, he oh. does. <laughs> yes, he does. Okay, so what about the mental aspect of this? So I grew up beating myself up, beat up stick all the time, hating myself, have a bad day, think, okay, I didn't work out. I didn't eat perfect today. And I would just beat myself up. And then I have not, I've tried to be really careful with how I speak my words and not allow that go to my daughters. I've got two daughters that they have that so bad in their head. I mean, I think it's just hereditary and pass it down. And I just would love to assist them. And I have really been blessed in winning this battle, working with Ben and, and doing keto. I have not beat IF yet because of hypoglycemia, but and we're still working towards it. But what do you do about the mental? What is the best way to yeah. just get that out? Yeah, that's a really good question, Margo. And I wish there was like a super simple answer, like a pill you take and then boom, it's fixed, right? It is programming. It's years and years and decades of programming. Maybe it's passed on from your mom or, or her mom. And it was, you know, on the subconscious level that maybe you're not aware of it. But the fact that you are aware of it now, maybe will put your daughters in a better place to deal with it because your awareness is there of like, okay, I'm learning how to do this. And like the things I mentioned earlier in the podcast, positive affirmations, daily gratitude lists. Uh, if your girls see you as an example of, hey girls, you know, I've been at war with my body my whole life and I've hated my body my whole life and I don't want that to happen to you. So here's these things that I'm doing. You can join me if you want to. You don't have to, but this is what I'm going to do to help fix that. And if you are struggling with self-esteem or, you know, your relationship with your body, maybe we can do this together to work through this because it is something that has to almost be unlearned. It's, it's years and years and decades of programming to be able to just unlearn it takes time. So therapy, life coaching, books, podcasts, meditation, positive affirmations, gratitude lists. You know, I, I don't want to uh, talk about things that, that maybe, you know, would make people feel uncomfortable, but plant medicines, uh, breath work, things like that, that can really be powerful tools for some people. I'm open to all kinds of things. The things I listed are things I've seen work for a bunch of people. Mm. What works for you might be different. So be open to new things that help you raise your level of self-awareness and help shift your perception 
of what success is supposed to look like. Because I think the problem with most women is they've been taught and marketed to that success on a woman is to be skinny, fit, lean, beautiful, sexy, you know, but not too sexy. And like, there's so much pressure from society to be all these things all at once. And there's so much pressure to unlearn that it's going to take some time. You know, you look fairly young and your daughters are probably young too. You, you'll probably be able to figure that out. Just be patient with yourself, learn how to operate at a place of self-love instead of self-hate and catch yourself when you're judging yourself. Catch yourself when you're, you know, uh, looking down on yourself or you're beating yourself up, you're feeling guilty or shame because your body isn't this or your body's not that, or maybe you ate some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And, and even with, you know, knowing that you shouldn't have like those kinds of things that happen where you catch yourself is a great first step. That means you're becoming more aware. Whether or not you do it is a whole different conversation. But being aware of when it happens and saying, okay, I see what's happening now. I'm observing these thoughts instead of attaching myself to these thoughts. That's the biggest step or jump in self-awareness that happens where you become the observer of your thoughts instead of reacting to your thoughts, attaching yourself to your thoughts, attaching yourself to your emotions, attaching yourself and reacting to those triggers where you don't even think about it. You don't even process it. You don't even thoughtfully respond. You just react. If you can catch yourself in those moments, that's where you're going to start to see some progress. And then from there, you can detach yourself from those emotions and be more in control of how you respond. And so those, the list of things that I mentioned can help. Be open to those things. Be patient with yourself and show yourself some grace. Amazing. Thank you so much. You Thank just, you, Margo. You threw some Jonas Benza in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Margo, for sharing. Appreciate you. Okay, so let's bring Judy on here. Hey, Judy. Hey. How's it going? Hey, Judy. Thanks, both of you. And really yeah. enjoying this. My question may end up being a similar. Sorry, I'm holding my phone trying to get in the camera view. We see time. you. <laughs> um, uh, it started uh, clean keto and with Ben um, mid-November. It's been going great, but I've kind of, um, I don't want to say stuck. I don't think that's the right word, but finding myself to be a little bit more complacent. And this might be a similar answer to what you were giving Margo, but kind of how to move out of complacency. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So I can't really speak to what like Ben is doing with you. You know, I, I would trust him in helping you adjust or modify things moving forward if you do feel stuck or complacent. I think when that happens from a mental and emotional perspective in anyone's journey, which is has happened to me when I did my recent weight loss journey, I remember there was one week where I gained weight when I went to Hawaii and I was like a little bit distraught. I'm a little bit frustrated. There was another week where I was supposed to lose three pounds, four pounds to meet my goal. And I only lost 1.5 pounds. And here I am a trainer, the person with the knowledge that knows how to, you know, eat correctly and exercise correctly to lose the weight. I didn't lose the weight I was supposed to. And first of all, let me just let you know that I understand your frustration. I understand where you're coming from. And it can be frustrating. The problem is that we sometimes are in such a hurry to see results that if we don't see results that aren't visible, that aren't trackable, we think, well, I'm not making progress. And this is where non-scale victories come into play of being able to look for other areas of your life where you might be improving. Are you getting stronger with your workouts? Are you building up your endurance? Are you uh, fitting into your clothes better? Are you, you know, uh, waking up with more energy? Like in turn to notice things outside of the scale, outside of weight loss, outside of getting skinnier. Are there other areas that you maybe are improving. And, you know, like I said, Ben might be able to speak more to this because he knows what program you're doing and, and maybe how to switch things up. But I would also look for the non-scale victories during this journey and just realize that you don't want to be in this just for the results. Because if you're in this just for the results, you're going to have moments of this complacency where you're going to stall, hit plateaus, and then you're going to get burnt out. You're like, well, I'm doing all this effort for minimal results. Why would I even do this? And if you could flip your perception and realize that you're doing this because you're worth it to fight for your physical health, then you start to fall in love with the process. And the results, whether they come or not, don't determine your level of happiness or your level of success. You're doing this because you're worth it to fight for this best version of yourself and for this physical health. And doing these things, you know, are going to make you feel better in the long run, whether the results come or not. And so that's where fulfillment comes into the journey, where you realize that, hey, I'm doing this because I know that I love myself and I'm worth it to fight for the best version of myself, right? And yeah, it would be nice if I had the results too, for sure. So I understand your frustration on that. But don't make it just about the results that if you don't get the results, you fail. If you do get the results, you're a success. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So thank you. Thank you, Judy. Great question. It was great seeing you. Uh, Drew, I want to thank you, brother, for going a little overtime with me today. Where is the best place for everybody to go check you out? fit to fat to fit.com social media. Uh, it's all the same fit to fat to fit. You can check me out there, you guys, but really appreciate you Ben. always a pleasure. Thank you to everyone that came on here. I wish I had more time to answer your questions or spend time with you, but uh, you guys are in good hands with Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. I appreciate you. We'll uh, do a round three, maybe in a Hawaii in person. Uh, love you, brother. Thank you for showing up in this world. And uh, we'll talk very soon, man. Have a great trip to Hawaii and thank you for what you do. See ya. I hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation with Drew. I know you love him because I love him and he just gets the word out very well. His experiment was crazy, but he did it and he did it for the betterment of humanity. So go show him some love on social media. Go follow him. Go get his book, Complete Keto. We'll drop a link for that down below. Go listen to the previous episode with Drew Manning, episode 96, which we will link down below as well. And take a screenshot of this on your phone. Post it on your Instagram stories and tag myself at the Ben Zotti. Tag Drew Manning at Drew Manning. And when I see it, I'll share that on my stories. And also text this episode to a friend. Post it on your social media. Let's get out the word of good health. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so today. And if you haven't picked up my latest book, Keto Flex, which, by the way, has been endorsed by Drew Manning. He wrote a fantastic excerpt in that book. Go get it today, ketoflexbook.com. You'll learn my four-pillar approach to mastering keto and fasting for long-term results. That is ketoflexbook.com. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.